Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Nee for your host, and today we're going to be joined by Jared Creed from, I would say, what East Central Iowa? Is that, or is it Northeast Central Iowa? How would how would you go ahead and say where you live? I would call that close enough. We're about an hour and a half northeast of Moines, uh, about an hour north of Cedar Rapids, Waterloo, Cedar Falls area. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, not too far away from where I have some uh, some farmland of my own, and uh, hopefully here in the next two or three weeks, it's going to get harvested. I, I know we were talking offline, but uh, why don't before we get started on your background and so on, just uh, for the audience out there, just let them know what's happening with the harvest in your area. Um, <clears throat> harvest in our area is a lot like others, I would suggest. Bean harvest is kind of hit and miss. You get to go hard for a couple of days, got to slow down, go hard for a couple of days, slow down. Uh, but maybe the, the story of this year's harvest is corn's not drying down to the expectation that we have. I don't want to raise any type of red flags yet, but with it being almost the middle of October and plenty of clients that we work with haven't even crossed a 10% threshold in corn, uh, I'm pretty confident we're going to have some corn being picked post Thanksgiving this year. So that's probably the story right now that we're going to have a later than normal harvest. But that can't be that much of a surprise, I suppose, given that we planted a crop a week or two late this year as well. But yeah. you just had so much other things going on that that's easy to forget about. As far as, you know, what what do you think is causing the corn not to dry down? Is it just the weather is just not cooperating? It's not staying dry enough? Uh, <laughs> I think there's a long list of potential reasons, Paul. Uh, every farmer will tell you a different one. Every agronomist will tell you a different one. Some of it has to do maybe with just odd stress that we had this year. Too much heat, too dry. Uh, some places the crop is legitimately really, really big. Big crops obviously don't necessarily dry down in a hurry. It's yep. slow cooked to the end. There's also plenty of corn out there that did receive a pretty good frost uh, about two weeks ago when it was three-quarter milk line, so that's going to slow down the dry down as well. Uh, but then even some of the stuff that was more drought-stressed and and hurt, uh, you know, its yields are way off, but the moisture sure as heck didn't drop how you would expect it to drop. So it's a mixed bag, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like uh, farming. You know, it's yeah, uh, yeah, very much yeah. so this year. Every year it's going to be it's going to be a little different no matter what. So, uh, but uh, well, why don't we go ahead and get started with your background? Just for the audience out there, uh, let us know where you started out, uh, and then I'll let you go as far as from A to Z or anywhere in between. Yeah, short and sweet. I grew up in South Central Kansas. Uh, went to college at Bethany College shortly after joining the Air National Guard. Uh, and after the Air National Guard, found um, my way into the agriculture industry, working for Mid-Kansas Co-op and Team Marketing Alliance in Central Kansas. Um, after six years there, I uh, made my way to Iowa to work for the Andersons and uh, eventually landed in Omaha working for Gavilon, running North American Originations for the company. Um, I was there for oh, about five years. And in May of 2017, um, we actually moved from Omaha, my wife and I, to her hometown area uh, up here in the Waterloo Cedar Falls area. 
uh, had our first child, mother wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, uh, yep. decided at the perfect timing to go out on my own. Uh, and now between JC Marketing Services and JC Ag Financial Services, we work with about 60 farms throughout the Midwest, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Minnesota, uh, Indiana, uh, Michigan, Virginia, Maryland, uh, and then we also work with a few different uh, cooperatives and insurance companies, banks on some education as well. So that's, okay. uh, maybe that's not the short and sweet, Paul, but that uh, covers the gist of it. Um, like I said, we've been at this uh, on our own for five and a half years now and enjoying every minute of it. Good, good. Now, when you said central Kansas near Salina, or whereabouts would you be? Lindsburg is where I actually live, dead center between McPherson and Salina. Okay, okay. I've probably I've probably driven through it or been very close. I've been in that neck of the woods oh, probably 20 times in the last five years. So uh, uh, I've, uh, seems like I, I spend more time in the Midwest than I do home. Matter of fact, uh, we're taping this on Thursday, October 13th, and I'm actually Saturday, October 15th. I'm headed to San Antonio, Texas, and I don't get home until the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So uh, I'll be on the road, I think, 46 days or something like that. Now, part of it, we got some vacation in between, so it's not like, uh, and I do have laundry facilities all lined up. So I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not wearing the same underwear for 46 straight days. So, uh, so see how good at packing you are. I'm I'm pretty good. I, I've done 20 day trips with just a carry on. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I I've gone to Europe, I've gone to South Africa, I've gone everywhere with this with a carry on. So, uh, you know, my 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 motto is if I if I don't have it, I can always buy it. So so that's that's the way I look at it. So so now you're you're on your own. And when you say you're on your own, let's just describe a little bit more for the listeners out there what your services are. I, I think we sort of got an idea, but let's just dive into the detail a little bit more. Yep. So JC Marketing was the first business to start uh, kind of right in its name, right? Providing grain marketing services to farms. Uh, we're not an insurance agent. We're not a commodity broker. Uh, obviously, we're not a bank. No, nothing along those lines. But why I bring those up is a couple years into the JC Marketing, I noticed that we had a little bit of a void. Uh, and you're, you know this all too well uh, within your walk of life. When a when an average farmer is looking at their financials, they're oftentimes depending on an accountant and a banker. But what I've yep. always found is those two individuals are looking at different things. Yep. And oftentimes it can leave the farmer with a pretty big guess on what their actual cost of production is. Um, we have uh, adopted using software called Zero and Figured. Uh, that sometimes producers will kind of look at us as their hired CFO and COO per se. Yeah. Uh, just because we kind of do, <laughs> I mean, I suppose for some farms, anything and everything from a logistics manager to marketing to doing their insurance to dealing with their banker to dealing with their input supplier, uh, dealing with their broker, uh, taking care of every single financial transaction that comes across their farm. So they always have an updated projected balance sheet income statement cash flow at their fingertips every single day and that allows us to make all those decisions that i just talked about in real time with real information uh certainly certainly stripping out a, 
a significant amount of guesswork. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's important. I mean, I, I think a lot of farmers tend to view, the, quote, the record keeping as sort of a necessary evil. But as you indicate, hey, if you know your production and it's on basically a real time basis, you can make a lot better informed, quicker decisions than not knowing it. Is, is that something you would agree with? Yeah, and again, you know this all too well. Um, speaking to the choir here, I feel like many producers probably get to the nine-month mark of the year when they start shuffling information over to a CPA. Yep. And three months later is when they quote unquote found out how they did. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we're trying to project that at always, you know, eighteen months in advance. Right now, if a producer needed to look at buying a piece of equipment or land or rent new land, uh, build a bin, whatever it may be, you know, we can flow that all the way out to the end of 2023. Uh, and for that matter, some of them have projections all the way up to 2024 just because of some of the uh, larger transactions that they've had that we've had to be on top of. But again, it's just it's nice that whether the producer spends money on a cup of coffee a tractor tire, 100 tons of fertilizer, whatever it is, when that transaction clears the bank account or line of credit, it's there. We have to reconcile it. We take it down to an operational level and farm level. Uh, and we're not talking about budget versus actual anymore. You're working closer and closer to an actual expense. And again, that all steers back to making the right insurance decisions and making the right crop insurance. Uh, grain marketing decisions all are an effort to keep the farm moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you talked about the budget there. I sort of view a lot of farmers or other businesses, they use the budget sort of as a static thing. Hey, what's our budget say? Here's what we spent. What's the difference? Really what you're talking about, here's what we spent. Here's what we're projected to spend. And is that reasonable versus just this budget that was set at the beginning of the year and nobody knows about it anymore? Yes, at bare in today's world, how much costs are changing day by day, yeah. uh, those are getting reviewed every other month. Uh, Mr. Producer, you've spent X amount of dollars on your fertilizer that leaves X amount of dollars left in your budget. What do you have left to purchase? Are we going to be above? Are we going to be below? Yeah. But I tell you what, there's always something nice about, uh, eh, nice probably isn't the right word, but you, when you have a big, big number in there for a budget and nobody likes to see that number, and then it comes time that the expenses are actually happening. Nobody likes to write those big checks. <laughs> There's something nice to it that after those checks clear, that you say, hey, look, you came in within yep. five, ten bucks an acre of budget. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because that's that means you've actually did a pretty good job on, on setting up the budget and you were realistic about it. Some some farmers they'll always either budget low or budget high so uh you know i try to convince them hey let's budget realistic you know not not high or low be conservative maybe but budget realistic so now is that under jc financial is that what the other the other uh the entity is yep so jc ag financial uh jeff jansen uh my right hand man for that side of the business that uh he used to work for farm credit okay uh, Farm Credit actually had a platform called Magnify. I'm sure you're aware of that. Yeah. Yep. Um, when COVID hit, I had just gotten into a partnership with Farm Credit to leverage their resources to provide this service to my client base. COVID completely derailed that. It was kind of a 
slap upside the head says, okay, now what? Yeah. Uh, and I was actually fortunate enough to hire Jeff and, uh, for lack of better words, kind of given the keys for what Farm Credit had put together in that software to this point. Uh, and we've made some enhancements alongside the companies of Zero and Figured. Uh, and or or they're they don't have a huge North American presence right now. They're much more heavily focused out of Australia and New Zealand. Yep. Uh, but we are helping them continue to enhance their software to be a better fit for North America producers. Uh, and technology is awfully great as long as an individual knows how to use it. So that's yep. one of the key pieces for us in the ag financial space is that we don't require the farmer to do anything on that level. When he spends the money, we're going to see it. And it's a pretty intimate relationship in that, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think that there's many in the industry from a grain marketing and crop insurance and broker space. Uh, if I wanted to give ourselves a little chip on our shoulder, uh, I'm going to know if a farmer is having a financial issue or I'm going to know if they're having an absolute banner year. And that's oftentimes information that very, very few people privy of the farm ever get to see. Right. And then since you know that information, you should be able to make better informed marketing decisions to help that farmer. 100%. It's so been, it, uh, Paul, I'll admit that without that information in the last 12 months that we have had in this market, I, I very well could have seen myself looking to do something different. Okay. Just okay. because of the volatility that was in place and having the emphasis of trying to outguess a guess, right? We're yep. guessing, we're spending this. Some of the most analytical producers I know, uh, I'm not going to mention names. You know one of them, <laughs> not my neighbors down the road here. Yep. Uh, in Western yep. Iowa, you know this individual, very, very smart individual. And his cost of production in soybeans, I gave him a hardcore quiz. I said, I want you to tell me what you're spending on corn and soybeans. And he went into the 2021 crop year thinking that he was spending about 550 bucks an acre all in to grow an acre of soybeans. Well, when all the dust settled, when you include everything across the farm, that number was 715 bucks. Yeah. $165 yeah, yeah. an acre difference across 4,000 acres of soybeans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it just adds up very, very fast. Uh, um, so so again, having that information is just incredibly valuable. So you, you indicated that it sort of helped you maybe change your focus this year. How, how did it, or what did you change, or what do you think you really changed this year versus if you didn't have that information? I don't know if it necessarily changed the focus, but it took the stress off the table. Uh, okay. It says, here's your costs. Here's a higher cost projection than what you're going to come in at. Here's your insurance. Here's your guaranteed bushels. And here's your projected yields. I can lay out three or four different scenarios based upon a mark-to-market value of the commodity that you are producing. I'll tell you, a pet peeve of mine in the industry is when somebody says, yeah, I'm 20% sold at say seven bucks. Okay, great. What about the other 80%? What's the all in average? I don't care what that first sale or last sale price is. What's most important is what's the total average. Yep. And given the volatile market that we had, it just let us keep going and going and going. 
of selling into the market with great confidence, knowing what those outcomes are going to be. And that spills over to 2023 as well. And quite frankly, most farms that I work with right now, um, at least 30 days ago, 2023 crop was their greatest risk. Since then, we have uh, came and uh, it's came and gone the sign up period for margin protection for next year. Uh, carrying that on corn has been a, a weight off our shoulders as well that I can confidently say looking at the producers costs, some of the sales that they have in place for next year and an insurance program. If I really wanted to, I could just hit the easy button, Paul, and say, I'll see you in April, May, and I'll see you <laughs> in June, July at your seasonal market windows. Between now and then, you just go focus on farming because 2023 is kind of a done deal at this moment. But for the so, average producer, 2023, uh, risk is both good and bad. I try to make sure that that's portrayed all the time, but they're probably taking on the largest dose of risk that they ever have on the farm uh, for next year right now. So for most of your producers then, you did take advantage of margin insurance? Yep. Yep, same amount okay. as last year, minus one okay. uh, farm with downsizing a little bit. Uh, it's a big old price tag, no secret to that. Uh, yeah. But it's going to save the bacon of a lot of farms this year. And quite frankly, I don't want to get out there over the edge of our skis on projections of yields into next year. We know that it's going to have to start raining in the Midwest at some point. Uh, but from a pricing perspective, margin protection looks like a great marketing tool more so than an insurance program today, uh, knowing that if price would drop somewhere down into the 580 to 590 December 23 corn range, we're at 630 right now, but at that 590 area, almost every single county across the Midwest would then be required to yield at or above their five-year average, if not approaching their record yield. So okay. kind of a bird in the hand type of approach that I'm sorry, if you go yield a record next year and corn is still six bucks, we're going to be having the exact same conversation about 2024. Yep, exactly. Now, so the the discovery price for margin on corn and beans, what was that number again? August 15th to September 15th, the price was $6.11. That was $1.05 higher than last year's 506. Okay. And then on soybeans, what was it? 13 or oh, 14? Oh, you know, I should know that number off the top of my head. <laughs> I don't. Um, I, 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 I should never really ask use... anybody a question nobody knows. So I, I apologize for that. So <laughs> oh, that's okay. I, I really don't use the margin protection program for soybeans, right, wrong, or indifferent. But taking a quick look at the chart, I mean, we traded up to 14 and down to 13 and a quarter during that averaging period. So it's probably that 1360, 13.7 area. Yeah. Still not a bad price. So, and, no. and for farmers out there that have never used margin or don't understand margin, it is really based, as you were sort of indicating, it's based on the county average. It isn't based on your particular farm, it's based on the county average. So if the county has a reduction in yield, or the price goes down or a combination of both, that's when you actually can get a payment on it. Yeah, I, I'm a little biased towards it, uh, Paul, just because of the makeup of the producers that I work with. 
larger footprint throughout counties. So they often trend with the county well. It's not about how much they yield above or below. It's a matter that they trend with the county. Their yields go up, so does the county. Their yields go down, so does the county. Uh, and it does just what the program is called, margin protection. It's an insurance program to protect margin that is just like your multi-parallel insurance on yield and price, yield being the county, price being the exact same, and then with the caveat of input cost management as well. Uh, and we just went through the spring pricing period at the same time as the corn price for inputs, and we'll calculate the harvest value of those inputs when we use them uh, out in the month of April. Yeah, and then for those farmers you work with, are you also then doing crop insurance in the spring, or you're just saying, yeah. okay. So, and so you have to carry some type of RMA insurance program yeah. with uh, margin protection. Uh, but most of the time it's a producer ends up carrying a 75 or 80% policy alongside it. But the nice piece is you get a look back period out in February, February, March to see what price changes we have had since yep. then. And if it makes sense to go up or down on that coverage based upon what the outlook and the protection that you have at that time is from margin protection. You know, I think that's a, that that comment right there just reiterates of what we do, not serving as an advertisement, but to make sure to, to know the other side of how these things can work. The average producer meets with their insurance agent, they make their decision and it stops there. Yeah. They meet with their grain buyer and they talk about a couple of different strategies and it stops there. There's never an intertwine between those two. And for sure as heck, there's never any any efforts to intertwine the insurance, the marketing with the banker and the accountant all on the same page. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting. That's that, I guess, the comment I should have made about the last 12 months, how wild things have been. Having everybody on the same page, uh, it's, it's pretty nice, I'll tell you. Yeah, that. it is, it is. And so, and I know for me personally, last year I did have margin protection on my, corn in Iowa, also my corn and soybeans down in in Missouri. I, I don't think I'm going to get any payment on the Iowa corn just because I think yields are going to be pretty good. The Missouri corn, because down there it's irrigated, but the in, you know, the, the outside of the of the circle is dry land. And I think they had like over 100 degrees for like 45 days during pollination and so on. So that yield was basically probably 30 bushels to the acres. So I'll definitely get a payment on that. So I don't know how much, but I know I'm getting a payment. Yep. But, uh, okay. So right now for your producers then for the 2023, that was the biggest risk, you've sort of eliminated, well, I, I you never eliminate any risk, but you've really have mitigated that risk. What about for those producers out there that did not do margin? Uh, you know, we're still, what, four months away from knowing what the spring price is going to be. Do you have any recommendations for them? Yes, I, I don't get it much more complicated than the simple blocking and tackling. The average producer, Paul, I'd be curious to know your opinion here. Going into the second week, third week of October, Cost exposure for 2023 
even if a producer doesn't have their seed, chemical, and fertilizer programs booked, but they anticipate farming next year, that means they likely have a good idea on cost for rent, equipment exposure, potentially some interest exposure long-term, Yep. maybe a personal living type of a, a budget. You get to start making some decisions off of real numbers you know that are going to carry into next year and that's that's again not a knock on uh on anybody how they go about do it but we go back and pull three years of transactions to use those as a trend so now i know that your family spent x amount of dollars for your personal living on average the last three years that's the number plus sorry we're going to put eight or ten percent more in there just because of inflation today yep so now we know that we at least have a handful of big expense uh, numbers known. Now, if you fast forward to producers that have fertilizer and maybe some seed and maybe some chemical spoken for and priced, I really don't have that much cost exposure between now and into the end of next year. Yeah. yeah. The things that can move, I suppose, would be fuel. Uh, maybe a little bit of labor and uh, equipment from a, a maintenance and repairs bucket. But beyond that, I'm relatively solid knowing what those numbers are. Well, now, and I think I think what I've seen too a little bit, Jared, is that last year, you know, the inputs this year versus last year, if you're looking at sort of the the static level are up a little bit uh, some areas maybe down a little bit but up a little bit but i think a lot of producers last year were able to lock in very more lower prices that they're not going to be able to lock in this year it, are you seeing that trend out there in the industry too oh 100 percent, 100 um if you think back to april may and sometimes this is just better to be lucky than good uh, and you know what? I should retract that statement because it's it's the the U.S. farmer to a certain extent was the beneficiary of a very violent and unfortunate situation between Ukraine and Russia. So let me just make sure that's out in the air. But you're dealt with the opportunities that are given to you, right? You're yep. dealt with uh, running a business in ever changing times. When fertilizer was going ballistic. Pertinent to the 2022 crop, so were grain prices, and so were grain prices for 2023. Back to the idea of us knowing we're going to farm next year and knowing some of the costs, it did send us out on a limb to be a scale-up modest seller in those markets from February to May. You know, December 23 corn very quickly went from 550 all the way to 670. Yep. And we started scaling into stuff at 550 and got fills all the way up to 670. And now here we are back to 630. I don't really care about what that price was versus what it is now. I cared about what that price was then versus the inputs that I knew I was going to have coverage on. And you know, fast forward a couple more months to, well, I should say the last 60 days when we're acquiring fertilizer for next year, no secret at a much, much higher price than years past. 
but 620 to 630 December corn, fortunately, is still good enough. Yeah. Uh, you know Chris Barron very well. Him and I talk about this quite often that for most guys to cover their nitrogen needs, it's going to take 12 to 13 percent of the crop to do so mm-hmm. at the current price levels that we're at. And that's really not that far off from other years. And even in an inflation-driven world that we're in, there's a couple expenses on the farm that have increased by so much more than everything else that I'd make the argument that corn prices outpaced the overall expense increase for the farm quite dramatically. Again, there are still some pieces on the farm that have gotten much more expensive, but it's not from A to Z. There are things that are still pretty static. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Now, I was just, uh, I got a little announcement on my phone or a little text saying, Russia is prepared to quit Black Sea Grains deal rights to UN with demands, and that's according to Reuters News. Really what's happening, in my opinion, is that I view these as sort of opportunities to lock in better pricing. Now, obviously, I don't think the market has changed much because everybody's been expecting this, but, uh, you know, on Monday, we had the, you know, we had the fact that the, uh, you know, the the bridge uh, to the Crimea got blown up and you had a big, now if you're a wheat grower, you had a huge rally in wheat. I mean, it went up a buck almost uh, on my local market. You could have locked in you know, a dollar higher than it is today. So I, I just view these as sort of rallies that you can sell into. Now, well, I'm not I'm, a marketer, have, Jared, but I was just curious what you think on that. Well, I'm going to have to pay you a, uh, a news feed service because I'm sitting here watching the markets, but don't have any... Uh, I didn't have a my wire ticker going, so I had not heard that headline yet. Yeah, no, uh, it's... as we've been talking, you know, wheat has gone from basically fifteen cents lower on the day to eight cents higher. Corn has yeah. went from dime lower to two cents lower. Beans have went from almost twenty lower to seven lower. Yeah, we're gonna be in a market like that for quite some time. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but this type of volatility has actually driven out a significant amount of what I would call legacy money in the commodity space, speculators primarily, making bets on higher price or making bets on lower price. The cost to play, the way they have to fund those positions, the volatility, the headline risk, it's made your historical you know, two or 300 lot, two or 300 contract trader down to a 10 to 15 contract trader. They don't want to put the capital at risk and our open interest in the market, uh, tracking all open positions in the marketplace uh, reflects that quite dramatically. So we're gonna continue to see these type of headlines I feel maybe forever. I mean, it just seems like we, we changed the grain markets in 2008 we changed them again in the drought in 2012, and I think we've changed them again this go around. I'm not saying that we've got a new higher floor on price, that type of thing, but we've changed the way the market's going to behave. It's 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 mind numbing how sensitive it is to a headline, and sometimes those headlines can be in the middle of the night when the U.S. farmer is not watching a darn thing. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that you know your comment on on Russia and Ukraine and just the volatility that we're seeing, it kind of goes back to your before question about the individual that hasn't done anything for next year. Uh, you know, maybe uh, that maybe that individual is just willing to 
to take on that risk, but they've got no floor from an insurance price yet. Yep. Not until February. And input costs, I would say, are I think the odds of input prices dropping significantly into this next spring are not really in the farmer's favor. And that's no. primarily driven by fundamentals. We need a lot of row crop grown around the world. A lot of row crop requires plenty of nitrogen and other inputs. The demand for that product is going to remain to be there. And the producer of those products are not going to make, they're not going to go stockpile fertilizer supplies at their input prices that they're purchasing today. That's no different than the farmer. They're not gonna go stockpile today's fertilizer prices. Yeah. They're going to buy what they need. <clears throat> the producer yeah. of those products are gonna make what they need. So just, I, I would just put it this way. I don't mean this is disrespectful to anybody, but they have to look in the mirror and say, what equity have I seen built on the farm in the last couple of years? How much drastic, uh, change? Have I seen them at working capital position in the last three or four years? Do I do I need to start playing some you know a football analogy? Do I need to start playing some prevent defense? Yeah, yeah. Do I need to make sure that I have just enough done where I can stress test it that if things go south, I'm going to be okay. But knowing that if things get even better, I'm I'm prolonging the profitability on a farm from a three or four year very good run to maybe out to five or six years yeah. which you've been in industry a lot longer than me paul no disrespect uh but you've probably seen it that it's very rare for a farm to go through maybe a 10-year period where they legitimately made money every single yeah, year yeah 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 you can see a four to five year but not not it's very difficult to have a 10-year or like you say, every single year they make money. So, uh, yeah, and, and you know, it's sort of like uh, um, I'm actually, I think I'm going to have an interview next week with uh, a national reporter on, on ag. And, you know, he just reached out to me yesterday and it's sort of dealing with, you know, is now, is the time right now similar to what we saw in the 80s? And, and you know, until about a year ago, I would say, no, this right now is not, not anything like the 80s or more like the I mean 70s going into the 80s but if we look at it now what we had in the 70s going into the 80s we had two oil shocks we had the OPEC in 73 74 and then we had a major rise on oil prices in like 79 80 and then we started having the interest rate shock under Volcker in early 80s and the combination of those two items is really what put the farm industry into a big shock because they had expanded suddenly they're paying 18 percent interest now i don't think we're going to pay 18 percent interest but i also will say if you got farmland that you valued at fifteen thousand dollars an acre when interest rates were three percent and now interest rates are eight percent potentially you're not going to value it's not going to be valued at fifteen thousand and if you were aggressive in borrowing money on that fifteen thousand dollar per acre that could potentially two, three years down the road be similar to the 80s. Not exactly, but it could be similar. I think I like the idea of it being two or three years down the road, potentially, uh, because I do think that the cash position for the average North America producer has gotten so much better. Yep. 
And you're yep. seeing that in land prices. I mean, I just saw yep. that yesterday Iowa set another record for a land price. Uh, let me pull this up. I got it here. Plymouth County uh, farm sold for twenty six thousand two hundred fifty an acre. <laughs> and I think is that, that was Northwest a, Iowa. Yeah, just uh, yeah. like a month ago, new record was set at I think twenty three thousand four hundred. So that just was ten percent higher. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, now, you've that's, seen that's, a lot of acreage change in over 20,000 in Iowa. I know that. Yeah, that's a unique part of the world. Obviously, that's not widespread through every single state. But uh, I, I got a, a little side note, a joke. Uh, a family that I work with, uh, I'll leave the state out, but two brothers and a father, they're very well established in other businesses. And they started acquiring farm ground a little over a decade ago. And they looked at it as an inflation hedge. Yep. And I joke with them now and said, hey, you wanted an inflation hedge. You've got a pot load of ground that you own at half the values that you purchased it at. And their comment is, well, having too much fun. <laughs> right? Yep. So I just, again, back to the producer that hadn't done anything for next year. Just, just I'd say at bare minimum, once harvest is over, if you don't have time to do it between now and then, at least after harvest is over, sit down with somebody you trust, whether it's a banker, the accountant, somebody. Take a take a little look out at the next couple of years of some stress test situations. Yeah, yeah. And that's... find those pinch points of where you actually go backwards and yeah. see if there's things that you can do to avoid going backwards. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, that's the, uh, uh, yeah. So many of us, we sort of get recency bias and, you know, what's happened recent is what we view things on. Well, you need to go out two or three years and go, what if this happens or what if that happens? Sometimes there might not be things they can actually do. But yeah. they at least have an idea of what they should do. That's better than not. Yeah. Well, Jared, this has been great. Uh, you know, normally when I'm talking with farmers, I ask them what keeps you up at night and you're not a farmer, but maybe I will ask you what keeps you up at night. Mm, that's a pretty easy question to answer the markets because they're open 22 hours a day. It seems like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what keeps me up at night is a lot of what we just talked about again, big money on a table, making sure individuals at least take a glance of when is enough enough. Uh, and how do we prolong, especially family farms, how do we prolong the, uh, not prolong, but how do we continue to enhance what they have done? How do you protect all the blood, sweat, and tears and equity that you poured into it? And it's really, really working for you now. If we see a bad change in the markets, what do we need to do to make sure we keep that, um, you know, intact? Yeah. Last thing I want to do is, get into conversations two years from now where uh, farms are talking about needing to sell some ground or refinancing something because they're in a bad cash position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think you were, you had brought up something, I forgot about it, but it just jogged back in my memory here. You know, unlike the, let's say the 70s going into the 80s, you know, recently with all the money that the government has pumped into the farm economy, you know, MFP, CFAP, ERP, et cetera, that is a lot more liquidity that the farmer has now that they didn't have back in the late 70s, early 80s. Correct. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, again, Jared, thanks a lot for uh, taking some time to uh, to have our discussion today. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I don't think so, Paul. I appreciate the invite. Okay. Again, this is the Farm CPA Podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Neefer, your host, signing off. Get timely updates about taxation, accounting, succession planning, and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors. Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness.